Praise the Lord. We'll transition to the preaching of God's word now. And during this time, if I have internet problems while I'm preaching, um, please be patient and wait as we try our backup plans. If you are having internet problems and can't get back into this Zoom gathering, we do have a pre-recorded audio file of today's sermon available for you. Uh, the Zoom, uh, just ask the Zoom host for today and he or she can send you the link to the audio file so that you can still listen to the sermon at home. Hopefully you can also rejoin us as soon as possible, especially at the end of our service as we respond to the sermon with corporate worship and prayer. Lastly, the sermon handout and manuscript are uploaded on our website as resources for you as well. Let's pray one more time and ask for God to illuminate the scripture to us today. Heavenly Father, your word says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Reveal yourself in all of your truth and glory in such a way that you change us today and forever as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're starting a new sermon series through the book of Ezra, books of Ezra and Nehemiah called Rebuild. These two books in the Bible often go together and record the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Let me give us some background by explaining the sweep of Israel's history from the Old Testament up until Ezra 1. Uh, Yahweh, the personal name of the one true God of the scriptures, made a covenant with Abraham. Abraham's family grew to become a nation, to become the nation of Israel while slaves in Egypt. God raised up Moses then to lead Israel out of Egypt to the promised land and gave them the law, that is their scriptures. After they initially conquered and settled into the promised land, they eventually set up a kingdom, first ruled by Saul, then David, and finally Solomon. After Solomon's death, the kingdom of Israel was unfortunately split into two, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Both kingdoms abandoned their covenant with Yahweh and became more and more wicked. Then finally, in 586 BC, Judah was conquered by the Babylonian Empire. The capital city, Jerusalem, and its temple in the city were destroyed, and the elites of Jerusalem were taken into exile in Babylon. All of this history is important because this isn't the end of the story. God's story of salvation continued in the book, books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Now, 70 years after the exile, God orchestrated the return of his people back to Jerusalem. And the book of Ezra describes the rebuilding of the temple. And the book of Nehemiah describes the rebuilding of the city walls in Jerusalem. But more importantly, both books reveal how God is ever faithful to his covenant with his people and faithful to his plan of salvation for the world. And we will see that more than just rebuilding the city and the, temp, uh, the city walls and the temple, Yahweh rebuilds his people to be his covenant people. And this wasn't the end of the story either. God's story of salvation continued with Jesus Christ as the centerpiece and fulfillment of Ezra and Nehemiah. And in this sermon series, we will learn about the unchanging character of God and how he works in the world, as well as what it means to be his covenant people in Christ. You know, church, in light of Jesus Christ, we can also rebuild as a church with the hope of certain change and growth. And this is especially the case for us in the pandemic world that we are, uh, that we live in right now.
It has undoubtedly been a historic global event that has changed how we live and function as people and as a church. But in this season, as we learn from Ezra and Nehemiah, we have this opportunity as well to rebuild our identities and our lives in Christ in ways that will be for our good and for his glory. And so let's be ready to build. Amen. And so today we start with this sermon from Ezra 1 and 2 titled Returning from Exile. The one thing of my sermon is always the main message of the text of scripture that I'm preaching from. And the one thing from Ezra chapter 1 and 2 today is this. Hope in the Lord, sovereign over history and deliverer of his people. And we'll see how Yahweh reveals himself in four specific ways to us in this scripture, which will be the four parts of this sermon. First, the Lord is sovereign. Second, the Lord is covenant keeper. Third, the Lord is provider. And fourth, the Lord is deliverer. And in each part, we'll also talk about how Christ is the fulfillment of these identities of God. This text of scripture is very long. Uh, so what I'll do is I'll read some selected verses from Ezra 1 and 2 as we work through it in the sermon. Okay, so first, let's focus on Ezra 1, verses 1 and 2. The Lord is sovereign. And here's the first truth about Jesus, the fulfillment of this scripture, which I'll talk about later. The Lord Jesus is the sovereign, directly in control of everything in the world. In this part of the book of Ezra, we see that Yahweh was directly involved in the world and directly used the king of Persia to accomplish his will. Let's go ahead and read Isaiah 1.1. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. You know, there's so much already in this first verse of Ezra chapter one, the author of Ezra wrote that the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make this proclamation after he defeated the, the Babylonian empire. And the proclamation was to allow the exiles of Judah, that is the southern kingdom, to return to their homeland. And this was significant. It is significant that the Lord directly involved, was directly involved in making this happen. You know, whenever you see the word Lord in the Old Testament, it's actually Y-H-W-H, which we pronounce as Yahweh. It's the proper name of God that Israel used. But Yahweh is not just a God among many gods worshipped by this one particular people group. He is the one true God, the one who created the universe and the one who is the sovereign. And the reason I'm mentioning all these historical details is because God is the sovereign over history as well. The words the sovereign mean that he is the supreme ruler of the universe, the one who has ultimate power and control of everything. This includes all the big things that happen in history. Just think about this. Two centuries before Cyrus, Yahweh actually told Judah through the prophet Isaiah that Jerusalem and the temple would be destroyed due to their sins. And also get this, Isaiah mentioned that God's chosen servant would specifically be named Cyrus, and he would be the one to rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. You see, the great civilizations in the Bible, 
Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome are all established by Yahweh. Proverbs 21 verse 1 says that the Lord is the one who turns the hearts of kings however he wants, like a stream of water. But the scriptures also reveal that Yahweh is the sovereign in all the little things as well. He intervenes in the little things, in details, like stirring up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make this decision and to make this proclamation, sending the exiles of Judah back home. In fact, this was, al this was already in the plans of Yahweh eternally before, as the prophet Jeremiah proclaimed a couple times. And as Ezra, as the book, as the book of Ezra notes specifically, here's one of his prophecies, Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Do you see these wonderful words? We'll talk about the gracious, personal nature of God in a moment. But what I want us to see here first was that this 70-year exile in Babylon was all part of God's plan for his people. He would use Babylon to discipline the people of Israel, and he would use this other pagan king from Persia this time to bring them back to Jerusalem and Judah. Now, here's the first truth about Jesus, the fulfillment of this scripture again. The Lord Jesus is the sovereign directly in control of everything in the world. God in the Old Testament is the same as God in the New Testament. He existed uh, now, now, though, fully revealed in Jesus Christ. And this was one of my Bible readings with my wife and son this past weekend. And I want to read it for us here that says the same thing. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was crea created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Jesus Christ is the sovereign directly in control of everything in the world. He existed before creation. He is the creator of the universe. He is the sovereign over the universe. He is the one who establishes all rulers and authorities of the human world and the spiritual world. He is the one who holds it all together. Think about some of the things that have happened just even in a very, very small slice of human history, like let's just say the last 50 years. So that would be from 1971 to 2021, which is just a little bit more than my own lifetime. We have the end of the, the, the collapse of the Soviet Union and the, the end of the communist bloc after communism was such a world-changing movement in the 20th century. 
We have the Cold War and the very real threat of nuclear war many times in our history. We have the start of the internet and everything that has changed with that. We have the September 11th attacks in the US and the decades long war on terror that followed. We have the political and economic rise of, of Asia, especially countries like Japan, China, India, and even now Indonesia. We have the inventions of Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and all other social media. We have the continual conflicts in the Middle East and milestones like the Arab Spring Movement. And now the COVID-19 global pandemic. You know, as the world keeps turning and as history keeps moving and changing, the one constant is that Jesus Christ is the sovereign directly in control and in control of everything in the world. The hope we have is that the one true God of the universe, Jesus Christ, is also gracious and personal, as we'll see in the next part. So first, we see that the Lord is the sovereign. Second, let's focus on Ezra chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. The Lord is the covenant keeper. And here's the second truth about Jesus the fulfillment of this scripture. The Lord Jesus is the covenant keeper, faithful to his promise to take his people home. In this part of the book of Ezra, we see that Yahweh kept his promise that his people would return to the promised land. I'm going to be focusing on verses two through four now. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord the God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whatever, whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. You know, it is just amazing that Cyrus acknowledged that Yahweh is the God of heaven. And he, that he acknowledged that he was the one who actually was responsible for making him the king of this mighty Persian empire. He stated that Yahweh was the one who called him to rebuild the city and the temple. And this is where we need to think about the significance of the temple in Jerusalem. I want us to think about this. This was where the people of Israel were supposed to make pilgrimages every year. They would worship, pray, and offer their sacrifices in the temple. It represented the presence of the Lord among his people. And the Ark of the Covenant, that was where the original stones of the Ten Commandments were stored, and that was in the temple. So if you think about it, the temple encompassed a lot of what their covenant relationship with Yahweh was supposed to be. And the tragedy is that the history of Israel can be described simply and sadly as a history of constantly forsaking their covenant with the Lord. Generation after generation, they, they constantly drop the ball. But incredibly, Yahweh is still, was still faithful to his covenant with Israel. 
He made a promise to his people, and he would do everything to keep his promise, no matter what his people did. Remember the words of Jeremiah the prophet? Yahweh said that he knew his plans for his people to give them a future and to give them a hope that after those 70 years, he changed their hearts once again, and they would call upon him again and seek him with all their hearts again. This is the covenant that Yahweh keeps because he is the covenant keeper. And here's the second truth about Jesus, the fulfillment of this scripture again. The Lord Jesus is the covenant keeper, faithful to his promise to take his people home. God, as revealed here in the Old Testament, as the covenant keeper, is the same God revealed in the New Testament as the covenant keeper. Let's think about the, let's think about the temple again. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 24 through 28, the author wrote about how in the Old Testament times, the high priest would enter the most holy place in the temple, which represented the very middle of the presence of God. And he would only do that once per year to offer the sacrifice of atonement on behalf of all the people of Israel. Now, today, we have Jesus Christ, who is the mediator of this covenant. According to the scripture in Hebrews, Jesus did not just go to the altar that was a representation of the presence of God, which was the temple. He went to the altar in the real life theater of the presence of God and offered his life there. It was his blood shed as the once for all sacrifice for the sins of the world. And as it says specifically in Hebrews 9, 28, Christ was offered once for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. He will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. The sacrifice of Jesus' blood to redeem us is more than enough to take away our sins when we believe in him. He is the covenant keeper. And notice that this scripture also says that Jesus will come again and he will finalize the salvation, uh, his salvation to us who are waiting faithfully for him. He is the covenant keeper. The storyline or history of God's plan for this world has a definitive end. The hopeful promise that we have is that Jesus will take his people home to their eternal promised land. Think about this for a moment, everyone. There is a glorious home that Jesus is preparing for us in heaven that far outweighs anything that seems glorious to us on earth. C.S. Lewis wrote about this in his book, The Weight of Glory. He said that the everlasting life, he said that everlasting life is the consummation of a Christian's early uh, earthly discipleship. It's what we long for because we long uh, being with our beloved Savior and King in perfect communion for eternity. Jesus Christ is the covenant keeper, and he will take us home. Therefore, we can have proper perspective regarding our lives here on earth. Brothers and sisters, we can know that possessions and success in our earthly lives are not worth clinging onto so tightly in light of eternity. Amen? 
We can endure through our sufferings, no matter how bad they are, because we know they are temporary in light of eternity. Amen? We can know that our earthly lives go by fast and are but a, a speck of dust in the cosmos in light of eternity. And so we'll invest our lives wisely into things that really matter to God. Amen? There's an old Christian folk song with these words that I want us to remember. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Amen? So first, we saw that the Lord is sovereign. Second, we saw that the Lord is the covenant keeper. Third, let's focus on Ezra 1, verses 5 through 8. The Lord is the provider. And here's the third truth about Jesus, the fulfillment of this scripture. The Lord Jesus is the provider taking care of his people all along our journey. In this part of the book of Ezra, we see that Yahweh resourced his people's return through King Cyrus and through the Persians. We'll go ahead and read this part of the text from Ezra chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. Then rose up the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, everyone whose spirit God had stirred up, had stirred to go up to rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, and with costly wares, besides all that was freely offered. Cyrus the king also brought out the vessels of the house of the Lord that Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and placed in the house of his gods. Cyrus, king of Persia, brought these out in the charge of Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. Yahweh actually provided everything for Israel, including the internal change of heart inside his people. In verse 5, the scripture says that Yahweh stirred up the hearts of the different families to lead them back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. In other words, he raised up the covenant people to be the covenant people of the Lord. God graciously included these specific people. And there were probably some who, some others who chose not to go back home. And in the covenant, um, these specific people were included. Their heads, the heads of these families had the privilege to be part of this historic rebuild. Not only that, but God even provided their neighbors, the Persians, Babylonians, and other people groups living among them to resource them with what they would need to accomplish this rebuild, silver, gold, goods, and even livestock. Additionally, in verses 9 through 11, Cyrus made sure that all the items from the temple that had been previously looted by the Babylonians and stored in their treasures, treasuries decades before would now be given back to the people of God and returned back to the temple when it was rebuilt all the way down to all the gold basins and bowls and other vessels made of gold and silver. This whole situation describes a second exodus for Israel. The first exodus was when they were delivered out of slavery from Egypt and brought into the promised land. Now this second exodus, in this second exodus, Yahweh delivered his people again, and this time from exile in Babylon. Yahweh led the king of Persia to let the people go of Israel to go back to their homeland. Yahweh is the sovereign over kings and history, and this was all part of his plan. 
Yahweh is the covenant keeper as well, who started and kept up his covenant relationship and promised to bring them home. And now we see Yahweh as the provider who would take care of all their needs for their journey and for the rebuilding of the city and the temple. You see, Yahweh would not abandon his people to fend for themselves. Now that, now that he freed them, they were not just fending for themselves on their journey back to Jerusalem or in the rebuilding process of the city walls and the temple. He would provide for them and would continue to provide for them every step of the way. Here's the third truth about Jesus, the fulfillment of this scripture again. The Lord Jesus is the provider taking care of his people all along our journey. You know, on their first exodus, how many ways and how many times did Yahweh take care of his people? And yet, they were so cynical at those moments when they needed to trust that he'd provide water and food, that he'd defend them from their enemies, or that he'd lead them in conquering the promised land. They were so discontent in their hearts and so quickly made their own idols and complained against the Lord. Cynicism and discontent plague our hearts too as we go along this journey of following Jesus to our heavenly home. These are, uh, these are both very hard to see in our hearts, but, but let me try here for a moment. Cynicism can look like unwillingness to pray and talk to God about our situations and what we might need. It can also look like procrastinating on things we know God wants us to, to, to follow through on. You keep putting off that get out of debt plan, thinking, well, I can, I can never get out of this debt. Or that request to meet up with, uh, to meet up to resolve a conflict with someone. Maybe you're thinking, well, that person will just hurt me again, or that person will just not understand. Discontent can look like constantly thinking that others have it better than you or restlessly chasing after various things to occupy your affections or attentions. You might not be able to listen to the Lord or talk to him because you are so frustrated with the path that he's taking you on so far. But the bar for the Father's care for us is set at the giving of the Lord Jesus, as the apostle wrote in Romans 8.32. He said this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If the father provided the son, the life of his son for us, we can trust that he will give us everything else we need in this life. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught that we need not be anxious about what we will eat or drink or wear. Because our Heavenly Father knows what's best. He knows what we need. He knows it even better than ourselves. And the best step we can take to see uh, is to see our cynicism and to see our discontent and confess it to the Lord. This is a really solid step towards living with greater hope. We'll talk about this a little bit more in this final part. So first, we saw that the Lord is the sovereign. Second, we saw that the Lord is the covenant keeper. Third, we saw that the Lord is the provider. Now, fourth and finally, let's focus on Ezra chapter two, verse one. The Lord is the deliverer. Here's the fourth and final truth about how Jesus fulfills this scripture. 
The Lord Jesus is the deliverer, saving them personally to be free to live for him. In this part of the book of Ezra, we see that Yahweh followed through on his promise. They were freed and they returned to Jerusalem. We won't read all 70 verses here. Uh, it's very long, but just this first one. Ezra chapter 2, verse 1. Now these were the people of the province who came up out of, out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. Then from verses 2 through 58, it lists the leaders of the people of Israel who returned from Jerusalem, uh, returned to Jerusalem from captivity in Babylonia. The 33 families of the tribe of Judah, the four families of priests, the families of Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, the 36 families of temple servants, and finally, the families of Solomon's servants who are probably the servants of the, the kings of Judah. And it's important for us to realize that all this happened. What the Lord said he'd do actually became reality. Well, when we get to verses 59 to 63, they're important because it talks about various people who could not prove their family line in the covenant community or as priests specifically. So they were not, uh, they were not totally excluded, um, but they were not included at that time until a priest could consult with the Urim, Urim and Thummim about the matter. Using Urim and Thummim was something like casting lots that the Old Testament prescribed in people, uh, be, uh, described in discerning the will of the Lord. The important thing to note is that there is a distinction between people inside the community of Yahweh's covenant and people outside of that community. It is a community that wasn't necessarily exclusive because actually people from the other surrounding people groups were allowed to join the covenant community if they trusted in Yahweh. For example, Ruth, who was a prominent figure in the Old Testament, was actually from, the pe was, was actually from the, a different people group called the Moabites. And later, in Nehemiah, um, one of those families that was excluded at first was now included in the rebuilding of the walls. And so Yahweh must have confirmed them somehow as part of the covenant community sometime along the way. So uh, in verse 64, it says that there were, were 42,360 total people from the families of Judah re uh, returning. But this was not just nameless, face. this was not just a nameless, faceless mass. These were individuals who were specifically part of Yahweh's covenant community by his grace. They personally experienced, experienced the Lord as the sovereign the covenant keeper, the, pro the provider, and finally, at the end of this part, the deliverer, the one who brought 42,360 souls, families, priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and servants through the 1,500-kilometer journey from Babylon back to Jerusalem, their homeland. They were vouched for by the records as truly people who belonged to the covenant community and had the privilege of partaking in the rebuilding of their lives and relationship with the Lord. 
Even some of those who were not at first, whose names were added to the records, were eventually included into the covenant community. And I want to read this psalm that describes what it felt like for these people who returned to Jerusalem. Just feel this with me as I read Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go to plant their seed, but they sing as they return with the harvest. So church, here's the fourth and final truth about how Jesus fulfills this scripture again. The Lord Jesus is the deliverer, saving us personally to be free to live for him. The Lord Jesus is our deliverer. He is the one who enabled us to be a part of his covenant community by his grace. And to get what I mean, let's look at Romans 8 again. This time verses 34 and 35 and then 38 and 39. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Friends, Jesus Christ died and his sacrifice as the perfect lamb of God justifies us before God. And that just means that now God sees us now as righteous and without sin. That's in Christ. Jesus resurrected and ascended to the right hand of the Father. And according to this scripture, he intercedes for us. This means that he stands on our behalf over and over again, that we truly do belong as part of God's family, as part of the covenant community, beloved by him. Nothing can take us away from that status before God is justified. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in the Lord Jesus, the deliverer. Now, can I dare say that this should give us great confidence and assurance in how we live our lives on earth? Not even cataclysmic historical events need shake us and definitely not a global pandemic. Of, of course, it will be difficult and painful. We will definitely have to make adjustments and navigate through seasons of uncertainty. The Lord Jesus, however, is our deliverer, and nothing in this universe can separate us from the love of God that is in him. That means he fights for, he has fought for you on the cross. He has fought for you your whole life, and he will continue to fight for you in your life until that final day. So let's live with this hope, church. In light of the Lord Jesus as the sovereign, as the co covenant keeper, as the provider, and as the deliverer, our tears are not in vain. In fact, seeds of hope, if I can use that imagery from Psalm 126, seeds of hope are those tears planted 
as we endure times of pain, difficulty, uncertainty, and risk. Those seeds of hope are our prayers lifted up for our family members, friends, neighbors, co-workers, our communities, and our city and nation. Those seeds of hope are our deeds done in obedience to the Lord, in righteousness and desire uh, to honor the Lord. Those, these seeds of hope are our service to others in loving, forgiving, encouraging, speaking truth, and caring for them. We can hope as God's people on our own journeys that we will see this harvest if we do not give up. Let us hope in the Lord, the sovereign over history, the deliverer of his people. So first, we saw that the Lord is sovereign. Second, we saw that the Lord is covenant keeper. Third, we saw that the Lord is the provider. And fourth, we saw that the Lord is the deliverer. Now I'll conclude my sermon with the life application. What are those next steps that we can take in light of the one thing to hope in the Lord, the sovereign over history and the, and the deliverer of his people? And what First, in what specific ways have cynicism and discontent distorted your view of the Lord. Think about the ways you have become cynical towards God and in his provision in your life. Is it expressed perhaps in your lack of prayer? Is it in putting off or avoiding things you know God wants you to follow through on? Or think about the ways that you express discontent towards God and towards his provision in your life. Is it in constantly thinking that others have it better than you? Is it in that restlessness in your heart that always chases after other things to occupy your affections and attention? I want to call us to repenting of these things as the Holy Spirit convicts us. Second, what seeds of hope must you keep planting in your life, in yourself, church, or world? I want us to think about something that we consider as impossible to happen. Perhaps that could be a change of heart within your loved ones, your own mental health condition, maybe a relationship that needs to change or a ministry that needs to be started among a, a people in great need. Whatever the Lord puts on your heart, what will it mean to plant seeds of hope in those impossible situations or people? Can you do it by faith that the Lord Jesus is the sovereign the covenant keeper, the provider, and the deliverer. Make it, our, make it your prayer. Open the eyes of my heart to see that this impossible thing is totally doable for you. Amen. I'm going to give us a few minutes to meditate on God's word and to listen to the Holy Spirit asking ourselves these two questions. So let's go ahead and pray for a few minutes at this time.